What's up? It's Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to catch up with Johnny Three Tier of Hollywood Undead. And this time we had Charlie Scene of Hollywood Undead on the podcast as well. We were able to chat with them over Zoom video back in February 2020. So before the pandemic, we interviewed Johnny Three Tears over the phone. He was the first person we interviewed that wasn't in person at the time. And then obviously a month later, everything shuts down and the new normal was doing interviews over the phone or on Zoom. But this time we had Johnny Three Tears on the video Zoom along with Charlie Scene. So we kind of hear a little recap of Johnny Three Tears backstory into how he got into music. Charlie Scene talks about growing up around Burbank area, uh, talks about how he got into music, how he eventually met Johnny Three Tears, joined up and they formed Hollywood Undead. They talk about how Hollywood Undead really took off via MySpace. They had a ton of streams. They were like the number one unsigned artist on MySpace for a long time. This led to a bunch of major labels and bidding wars. So we hear all about those early experiences they had with Hollywood Undead, playing shows at the Viper Room under a different name. We hear about the success of the first records when it came to selling platinum and gold and getting gold albums. They talked about working with Benji and Joel of Good Charlotte, kind of managing them up until the pandemic. And we hear all about the deluxe version of their latest album, Hotel California. They did a reissue with a few new songs on it, including one with Jelly Roll. So we hear about those songs as well. You can watch our interview with Johnny Three Tears and Charlie Scene on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Hollywood Undead. Well, awesome. I appreciate both of you doing this. Um, I'm Adam, and this is about the you guys and your journey in music. And uh, we'll talk about the the reissue of the album, the Hotel California, I guess, put out. We reissue? Oh, the deluxe. Deluxe, deluxe. issue, sorry. <laughs> I was like, fuck, that was quick. <laughs> deluxe yeah it's so bad the first time they had to reissue it yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah i think you got you had just maybe just released or you're getting ready to release new empire like the volume one when when i talked to you last time yeah when i talked to you last time was literally like right when we got like we were in europe when everything went to shit or it was right before we went to europe right up but it was like right it was in that february that it must have been before Okay, so we yeah we went to Europe and then we, our tour got cut short. We got sent home, but that was literally after we yeah I think we released it the day we got so maybe two weeks before New Empire yeah. came out the volume one. How and many fucking guitars do you have? Uh, more than I can play. <laughs> I know, dude, that's <laughs> insane. Now, one, dude, two, I have I have uh, I'm ordering two more. I'm getting a a Gibson uh, Super Jumbo like this blue one uh -huh. and uh, a Martin. You're obsessed, oh. dude. Dude, well, you saw me do coke before. You know how I snort. That's how I do this. <laughs> Everything. You have more than me now. Oh, that's well, so at least you know how to use yours. 
crazy. Well, yeah, that's so funny. So both of you guys kind of, did you, did you both grow up together in LA? Is that what I remember? Not together, but both in LA. Yeah. Okay. We met when we were pretty young. I knew Jay from when we were, we went to like kindergarten together, but though you got, you've known him since like early days, right? 14, 15. We've all known each other for a really long time. I was like 12. And then he's also known funny for his whole life. They went to like preschool there, that whole thing. So we all known each other for a long ass time. And what part of Los Angeles did you uh, grow up in? Jordan? I'm from Shadow Hills, which is um, just outside of Burbank, like okay. five minutes north of Burbank, a little horse town called Shadow Hills. So I grew up with horses and a billy goat and shit. Oh, wow. That's cool. So <laughs> yeah. Moving to Nashville wasn't too big of a change. I guess. <laughs> no, no, not at all. no, it made sense for me to move here for sure. Yeah. It really did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Johnny, you were in what? Glassell Park area? Glassell Park, Atwater. Those are the two places I was raised. And that's, yeah, that was what, right? That's like our downtown area, I believe. Right. Out, it's like uh, if you go to Hollywood, it, it, there's East Hollywood, then there's Atwater, then there's Glassell Park. So, like, Glassell Park is getting, uh, yeah, like by Echo Park. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, now it's like all hip, hipster central down in like Echo Park. The area. funny thing is, Echo Park used to be like one of the worst ghettos in LA, but those damn white hipsters move in and clean it up. And now we can't fucking gangbang there anymore. <laughs> I, the, I think it was the very first like fuck yeah fest that they did uh it was in echo park and it i remember going it had to be like 2004 maybe and it was pretty sketchy and then it got oh yeah dude echo park glassell park's still really bad but atwater too like they used to be really rough and tumble neighborhoods like hispanic neighborhoods a lot of gangs and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah the they got all they got gentrified yeah, I wonder what probably. happens to all the people who like were from there. Uh, where they, where the fuck do they go? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. But yeah uh, North Hollywood many... too. North Hollywood's like that, all cleaned up. It used to be the shithole of the world. You don't see many gangbangers anymore. It's like the culture shifted. You know, it's like it got cool to dress like a skater. Yeah, for everyone. You know, so that's what shifted. A lot of the gangbangers too. They had to like now, like Antelope Valley or like uh, out by La Quinta, like the desert. They had mm-hmm. to move further out. So like. Now all the LA gangs are based in like Riverside and stuff. So, mm, yeah. you know, th- those outskirt areas got way worse as far as violence and stuff goes. Yeah. Hemet and shit. Yeah. Shit like oh yeah. Hemet. Yeah. Cause I was in San Diego and there's like, yeah, Temecula Hemet and all that kind of getting out. I there. love They're- Temecula. I used to get drunk at the winery there, dude. I get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, Jordan, how did you get into music? Did you come from a musical um, household? No, no. My parents were both like actors. They wanted to be actors. Um, And I got into music when I saw uh, Tom Petty on MTV when I was a little kid. I was like, I just want to be just like that guy. So I got a guitar, grew my hair out long, got made fun of, had holes in my jeans and shit. And dirty hippie. Such fucking dirty hippie. Yeah. get made fun of but yeah i just tom petty was my inspiration i I learned all of his songs then i got into red hot chili peppers and faith no more and nirvana and all that stuff and i just wanted to know how to play all those songs so i would just sit there and listen to the songs and try to learn them on my guitar and that's kind of how it started what did you start bands uh growing up as well yeah yeah my first band was like in fifth grade it's called bleach after the nirvana album record (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah uh so that was my first band and then i yeah i I started 
another band called Upright Radio. Then I joined Johnny Three Tears band with J Dog called Three Tears. Um, and then still had Upright Radio going. And then we put the music up on the internet for Hollywood Undead. And then everything else took a halt. We saw oh, that the Hollywood Undead thing was working so well. So, and it was so much more fun too. Yeah. So, uh, okay, real quick, Johnny. So, I, I think you said you got into you started off in like into hip hop, right? Or how yeah, did you get into that's predominant. Well, my parents kind of the same. They love cla- like classic rock. So I grew up on my dad's albums, which were like you know Neil Young, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as I got older and started going to school, and like you know, oh, everybody listened to rap. So that's what I that's when I started listening to rap. But all of us are kind of from that same school. We grew up on like classic rock through our parents, but all got into hip hop. Through like, you know, when you go to start going to school, you listen to what everybody listens to. And you're like, oh, shit, this is hard in the West Coast. You know, obviously that was during the heyday of Tupac and Biggie and stuff. So Wu-Tang was out. Those kinds of things kind of shifted what I listened to. But I always still listen to uh, to like the classic rock stuff. I still to this day, um, I still listen to the same shit. All my playlists are from like 1999. Exactly. I found my old cassette tapes in a shoebox and it's like. Oh shit! I still listen to the exact same fucking <laughs> shit. <laughs> I don't like it. There, once in a while, something new will come out. I'm like, oh, that's dope, but never like to the same degree of the mute. Maybe it's nostalgia, but it doesn't like you know the grunge period. The bands were so they're all so fucking good, and I just uh, you don't hear that anymore. Like the angst in it. Most rock is so pop now and polished. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't have that same emotional drive. I guess that Nirvana had or Alice in Chains had. To me, you know, like I don't get that same whoa shit. So I just stick with what I know. Yeah. Or yeah. if I find a band I really like, I'm like, fuck yeah, this might be my new fucking jam. And then I look, listen to their other songs and they all suck. They have like two good ones. It's like, God damn it. Yeah. There's, there's not a whole lot of bands anymore where you could buy the whole uh, newer stuff, I guess. Yeah. Because people aren't really putting out albums. So it's like single, push the single, single instead yeah. of like buy the no, album no one, no one has the attention span no one's bought no one's buying right we all we we just put out an, a full album and you really realize why because the lead tracks do real well and towards the end it kind of just drifts off people i forget what the number is but someone said they they release like a hundred thousand songs a day on spotify or something mm-hmm. ridiculous oh I yeah might, no i think it's like in the mill i think it might be in the million yeah. it's like some, insane some yeah insane number so the attention span is so short. No, like when we were young, you know, you buy the album. It was like an event. It cost twenty bucks. So I'm gonna right. you know, read the insert and listen to every song. Uh, those days are over. So for a band, it's just like a big waste. You basically or you put out a bunch of songs and no one really listens to them. So even we are gonna move to that. Hip hop's been doing this forever, like the mixtape vibe. Yeah, or the still put the out singles, singles out on like the big uh, twelve inch records yeah Yeah, dude or like put out singles and then put out an album when you're done putting out the songs because it really doesn't serve any purpose to put out more than one or two songs at a time anymore Mm -hmm. you guys you you think you're going to go that route is that what you said i think everybody's going to go that Uh, route yeah slowly but surely like because you know making a record and selling a record recording a record all that stuff there's a big cost involved and you can't recoup because no one's going to buy it you know, mm-hmm. you remember like Best Buy, Target, they had these big records. They're, Best Buy doesn't have any anymore. And Target has like one little aisle of albums and it's only like Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish and like. So yeah, those, the biggest it, albums there are. We're, our we're lucky. We caught the tail end of that. Like I remember when our second record came out, that huge cardboard cutouts of the band with the CDs stacked in it at Best Buy and stuff, which was pretty cool. And those days, it's just it's just a different world now and you have to kind of adapt to it, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Wow. Um, with well, real quick, Johnny, was the what was the first instrument you learned? Obviously, you got a bunch of guitars. I still haven't learned one. <laughs> what did you attempt to learn? First? No, I play bass. Uh, I play, play bass. bass in the band, right? Yeah, and then you know, I'm 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 working on guitar. Okay, I'm okay. I'm not I'm not there yet. But dude, next time we you interview me in two years after the next COVID, I'll be really good. <laughs> after the next COVID, <laughs> I'll impress you with a solo, dude. Uh, and what was your what was your first band? I mean, you were in something. You were in three tiers, and then uh, Jordan joined up, right? But was that kind of the first? Project that was had. my own, only band outside of we did that and then we we stopped doing it jordan did upright radio i didn't do and then that you know so there's like this lull where we kind of drifted everybody was doing their own thing and then we started doing hollywood undead and like he said that kind of put everything else you know the interesting thing is we were like we all were doing bands for so long and you kind of dude you you, you lose hope that it's ever going to work you know because nothing ever happens Mm -hmm. So we just kind of made Hollywood Undead like, fuck it, let's just make shit we want to make. And in that clicked, which it was interesting because when you you're trying for so long to get something out and then you finally go, well, fuck this. Let's just do what we want for the hell of it. And that's what finally clicks and you finally get somewhere. So it's a lot more fun being in a band when it's doing well than when it's not, you know. Sure. What was the like early on? You guys said that it clicked. Was it? Were you seeing a lot of people at the shows or was there a song that kind of made it for you guys like online? I mean, it was our streaming numbers. Oh, right it was. The bat. Yeah, we were number one on the mice. We put our shit on MySpace and they had like their their lists of the top artists and there was top signed artists and top unsigned. And we were number one top unsigned artists every like years. Yeah, for years. Oh my it, god! It, yeah, millions of streams a month. I don't even remember the exact numbers. It, just, it was weird because it was all organic. Like there was, we didn't have a label or anything. The only thing we did was make songs and put it out, and it got so much traction, um, just organically and naturally, that then we started kind of taking it more seriously. Like, okay, shit, this that really. And then, like, dude, that we had like Electra and Atlantic and Interscope all trying to sign us. It was like, it, dude, it really was kind of like. Um, one day or one thing and that it was because we're all broke we're trying to make this music and all of a sudden we're in like board meetings and burbank and at atlantic records and we're sitting down with jimmy Iveen and uh interscope and it's like you know pinch me because it's just it was bizarre the way it all went down i don't think it's ever happened twice so yeah pretty lucky well, that, that was crazy jimmy Iveen sitting down with jimmy Iveen, the guy who produced like my favorite tom petty record yeah, he, he's got he's john lennon's down. piano that he played imagine on in his office He's got letters. Oh my God. Tupac framed in his office. You're sitting there. You're like, I mean, Jimmy, I mean, a fucking legend. Yeah. And we're just a bunch of rat kids making music on the internet. And all of a sudden we're sitting with him and we were Atlantic and there was like a bidding war, all this crazy shit. And we we're like, dude, this is actually real. So it's and wild. It was, yeah. Were you guys doing a bunch of shows around LA at the time or was you just played a show when we put it out? Oh my God. It was just the streaming numbers that kind it of was literally just yeah. like for, we were just doing it to say, fuck it. And then once we we got signed and we started going, okay, now we got to make a record. Then we obviously we had to go on tour and stuff like that. Um, we did some secret shows at uh, yeah. Viper Room and stuff to prepare for tour. And did you play under a different name? I've heard of bands doing that. Yeah, we did we minutes did. to midnight. Yeah, that's right. Minutes. What, we, what was it called? Murder after midnight. Murder, Murder after, after midnight. midnight. I we love did that. Shows at the Viper Room secretly. And then we, it was really easy for, we had all been playing in bands forever, but it, you know, it's a different kind of band and amalgamating everything. So 
we did some warm-up shows at the viper room and then but we had already like in our other bands had played the whiskey and the rainbow and all those places down there so it was pretty natural the progression the real trip was just having people like you know you're selling out shows when you used to beg your family to come like can you please buy a <laughs> ticket because you're paying to play you know yeah <laughs> oh wow yeah and then to put out that record and have it just go i mean platinum you yeah, it's done so well uh right away that must have been such a huge i mean obviously you're seeing the streaming numbers but it's like will that translate once the album comes out and obviously sure. yeah dude i was does. like where the fuck is the money because we didn't get any <laughs> yeah we didn't get shit. <laughs> that's the only thing that was on my mind uh <laughs> well going in then having the success was going into Amer american tragedy was that something that you guys were you know like looking at those numbers at this point like oh are we going to be able to like keep recreating not recreating but continue progressing with this are people going to continue to care or did you I not mean, even I, think I about it i honestly thought we were better by the time we you know you we we the they always say you know you have all your whole life to write your first record and you know i thought we were this uh, american tragedy is probably my favorite album or at mm -hmm. least number one or two um and i thought we went in in much better in a much better place for that than we did the first album because that was so like rough and tumble. None of us had been in a real studio before. We'd all, you know, we were like bedroom studios and all of a sudden we're at like NRG and we were much more, uh, I think, acclimated and ready for American tragedy at that point. So you recorded uh, Swan Songs where just else, just other spots. They didn't make you go re-record it when you, re when you signed they, to the major. They later. tried to, and then they ended up liking the shit we did in our bedroom better. It had the, the magic on it. The raw to redo vocals and stuff. Yeah, just that raw, shitty sound was kind of like what made it cool. Well, and, you wow. know, it's funny as you see that having come back now with like SoundCloud rap. It's like, dude, the production oh, yeah. is terrible, but it's huge. It was kind of that same thing. Like we went in NRG with a big producer um, and uh, we came out of it and they're like, no, the bedroom stuff. Like there's something you can capture um in that kind of setting i think you can't when you're in some giant two thousand dollar a day studio it's much less personal you mm -hmm. know yeah actually it's interesting because i've interviewed people that had songs do really well like over the pandemic and they're like yeah i recorded it on like a usb mic in my closet and then a major somebody will sign them and ask them to re-sing it or recreate it and it, it just doesn't work the same way and I'm wondering if, you know, the emotion of singing it that first time, like, are you able to recreate that, especially in a bigger setting? That, like, that's happened so many times recording where like, okay, let's just do the scratch take, you know, like on an SM7, we'll just do the scratch take and, and lay it down so we don't forget it. And then we're like, okay, now it's ready to do real vocals. We'll go on this $10,000 microphone and the scratch track is better. There's something yeah. about like the spontaneity or something like when you're recording it's the rawness, like you mean it. Cause it's the first time you're saying, you yeah. know, repeat something. It's like imperfect. And that's what makes it cool too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah. The, the Sorry. Pitch, go ahead, issues, pitch issues, little time. It, all that stuff sounds good. Like it, it sounds human and then yeah, yeah. sound like, you know, like a robot or whatever. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I come from right. I was on the radio for a long time. I've, was doing radio when we talked to you last time but there's something about listening to these djs that were on 50 stations around the country and how polished and you know over right. that radio you know, voice it was just like so it was just to uh, the station i was at in san diego we were in an independent station uh that had been around for a long time but it was like they gave us more of that 
it was a little bit more raw and there was something right. cool about hearing the you know guy doing the weekend show like fuck up on the air it was yeah. like, oh that's you know I, it was yeah, you're cool listening to, hear to that. a person it's it, yeah it makes it human and it makes the connection more real i think you know yeah that's one of the things i mentioned earlier the why i don't like a lot of modern rock not all of it there's some good stuff out there but it's like so polished that it doesn't sound like rock music even though the progressions and that they're rock but it's so clean that i don't get any i don't get the chills from it because it doesn't sound organic or whatever it is you know Mm-hmm. It's like it's like that with everything. People like the real shit. They like honesty and the real thing. Like even with um, like if you watch like Jay Leno or like any of those talk shows now, like all those are fucking failing. Or Jimmy Kimmel, yeah, they're no, all failing. Exactly. People since Joe Rogan started just yeah. the real conversational shit, not this squeaky clean fucking bullshit fake conversation they have with suits on. It's like people like the real shit. Yeah, they're just there to plug their movie and tell a story about how their kids fell in trampoline because it's like they the story's already set up. They know what to ask. Exactly. They know what to say. Like yep. a good free flowing conversation is actually, you know, interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's why I started doing this. I mean, I was in radio and they would cut the interview that I did to like, you know, a minute and a half. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell? Or they'd <laughs> yeah. ask and be like, ask them about br- what their favorite Mexican food restaurant is in oh. San Diego. And I'm like, well, who the fuck care? Who, what are you going to start going there? Like, are we getting paid by yeah. Miguel's or something like that? Like, I don't understand. Like, those yeah, pre, those pre asked. They're the because we still, you know, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you on tour? It's like, dude, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that. It's just so fucking repetitive and dumb. Dude, one time I got drunk and fucking fell off my bunk. It's like so like, ugh. and yeah, yeah there, cringy, there's, no, like, there's no actual you know, you're not talking about anything. They're not listening and I'm not paying attention either. It's just bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I will ask you a pretty generic question at the end. So, um, but other That's than okay. that, I, 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 keep, I keep it. I try to keep it more of a conversation. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've done on tour? That's the question. Yeah, he's yeah, you got, now I've got to figure out another. He was question. just scratching it out. Okay. Not that one. Well, <laughs> that one's gone. Um, <laughs> uh, since doing, you know, the first record kind of in the, basement recordings you know in your in your room recordings like when it came to because i would get i guess empire volume one had was already recorded because it came out in the early pandemic but either volume two or when you even going into hotel california what are those records did you ever go back to kind of that same oh you yeah know, dude, we, we still record like where jordan's sitting right now charlie's sitting right now we still record there and granted it's a nicer room but we still do half the shit on all our albums is recorded at home really like, yeah well like he said dude we'll we'll make stuff like hey let's write some scratch stuff and we'll go to the studio to redo it and it's lost its luster um so yeah we still do a lot of recording uh in home studios yeah wow and that you've been doing that since you know the Ever beginning since. we learned our lesson on the oh, first yeah. like dude even on the second record like coming in hot was done in his bedroom i mean a bunch of them where i can't remember everything but um yeah. Yeah, like just fucking throwing it down, drinking beer, we'd barbecue and we'd it's, fucking track. It, it sucks having because um, a lot of times when you work with producers, they'll change things just for the sake of changing it. And I don't put I don't, stamp on it. Yeah, putting their stamp on mm-hmm. it. So it's very fucking annoying. So that's like one of the main reasons why I got my own studio is so I could build tracks that aren't just demos that then they go and change. Like it could be studio quality enough to be, be used. No, that makes a that makes a lot of sense. Like with that, when did you start learning how to? Was that something you just picked up on your own, just learning how to record? Yeah, our original singer 
had his own studio. So that I learned from him and then ended up getting my own thing. Cause he, it was kind of annoying having one guy dictate, you know, who records and who's on this and who, what songs we write. So it's like, I'm, I have my own songs that I want to write and record. So it's like, I, I bought the shit and just kind of taught myself and, I still do the same thing to this day. Just come in here and, and write whatever, whatever happens. You know, I don't really like you. A lot of the times it's not like, Oh, I'm going to write a song for Hollywood. I did. I just like, I write music because I still look at it as like a fun hobby. Like mm. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy like writing songs and a lot, most of them probably don't work for Hollywood undead, but it's the best feeling in the world to me is like when a song comes out of the air and all of a sudden you listen to a song that you've just completed and it's done. It's just, that's the best feeling in the world to me. I mean, going back real quick to the, you know, talking about record sales and then putting, you know, singles instead of albums, when just looking at just kind of the success then of, of Notes from the Underground, I mean, that album was number two and like number one in a bunch of countries. And it's like, if you're looking on paper, it's the probably, I mean, that's one of your biggest records and that one doesn't sell as a gold album. And it's probably, that was probably around the time when everything started to kind of move to the streaming world. Well, yeah, like uh, even when Swan Songs came out, that was the end. That was like on the downhill spiral of CDs selling. Uh-huh. It had already started because you're talking 2008 or nine. It yeah. was already moving in that direction. By the time Notes came out, there was a, a lull before Spotify and these streaming sites. And when records weren't selling where there was nothing like because there was no streaming alternative. So Notes from the Underground sold, sold really well, but it drops off because everybody who wants the record got it. And everybody who's going to steal it or stream it, I don't care if they do, already is doing that. And then so Spotify started to kind of take off after that. And then, you know, you it's built obviously a lot since, but there was a lull in it where there no one wanted to buy records and no one was streaming off streaming sites. So that kind of fucked with artists. And obviously Spotify and stuff, it, a lot of a lot of artists complain about it because um, the pay is not, you know, whatever the they think there should be more money. But if it wasn't for Spotify, everybody'd be fucked in a lot of ways because people would still be listening to it, but you wouldn't get a damn thing out of it. So, right, know, it's a yeah, it was people downloading albums or or sharing them with each other, like Naps or whatever, LimeWire. Yeah, those when those came something. out, yeah, you're that's how I got our those. own music. I had to go download it illegally. Our own shit. <laughs> it's like, damn, I don't have that one. Okay, I got to go on LimeWire. <laughs> yeah, LimeWire. That's what it was. Kazaa Kaza and LimeWire. Yeah. Kazaa, yeah, LimeWire. I will say though, I, I have your moments. records on vinyl. I have the, the and I think I, maybe I just have volume one of New Empire on vinyl. Um, but yeah, that's and, an, another thing that's big now is the vinyl throwbacks. Everybody wants that. So like, we're probably like this last record. They are there. This is probably the last CD we're actually going to print because you know I have like a new car and it doesn't even have a CD player. It's like over. So people who want something physical are going for the vinyl now because it's more collectible and it's kind of got some cachet as opposed to a CD. So I don't think CDs are going to be made. Right. The only place they still sell CDs is in Europe, so they might make them there. But over here, I think it's a it's over. Yeah. There's no CD players in cars anymore. Yeah. Right. Do they even sell CD players like a boom box? Who the fuck would buy a boom box? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta lug it around. Like, yeah. <laughs> they did. So Everybody bad. streams music now. There's no point. Right. Yeah. yeah so records, a- people like vinyl. That's like a collectible type thing, I think. For, for yeah, now. People will do like bad. the cool colors and the, yeah, like the limited pressing. Do limited and- pre- well, people buy them because they think that, you know, they might be worth some money someday. Someone might, not ours. Ours will be worth less, but someone's might be worth more. Uh, I'm hoping yours will be worth something. 
well i, I want to talk to you guys then yeah so you've been i think you said uh johnny that the guys in um good charlotte kind of helped you out pretty early on right the with the band and stuff yeah well we were like uh you know no one really liked us around we were kind of the young upstarts at the mm -hmm. time um we were broke we were just you know we, we were you know no one there these guys they're all the in crowd and stuff and bands they kind of just took us under their wing they knew that they they saw a future in us they advised us and uh you know really looked out for our best interests and stuff with no nothing to gain from it at all um but they came from kind of the same world in baltimore and had a rough life and they you know they kind of made it out of it and i think they saw the same potential in us and while most people were writing us off those dudes joel and benji like uh really looked out for us and they let us go over to their house and like eat and stuff like that and go swimming and you know they let us yeah run they took us to parties and shit. they picked us up in a limo and took us to parties with yeah. them like they didn't want anything in return they're just yeah. like they would dj in vegas they let us stay like uh joel had like a suite at the palms or wherever it was and he let us like sleep on the couch <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. his girl were in their room but we were like they come out and there's just five dipshits laying there um, <laughs> yeah no they never wanted anything to return they were just good guys you know like yeah. uh, and uh i still have a lot of love for those dudes for that because um it really meant a lot to us especially at the time yeah and they helped i mean they they were on volume one i think right um yeah, well they we ma they managed us for um the f five the record before new empire um, okay and while we were recording that we we just had a we didn't have a i love those guys but it just wasn't working you know management wise but they actually manage us and they're great managers we're just probably too heavy for like what they do you know mm -hmm. uh but uh they're still friends we still talk to them and stuff like that so they managed us later down the road which was like a no-brainer because they helped us long before they were doing management stuff they're really good people they are yeah I, I called benji for advice like a year ago he had such good advice especially Actually, he's given me advice a bunch of times. One was when I moved here to Nashville from LA and I was like depressed at first. I'm like, damn, I just made a huge mistake because I moved away from all my friends, my mom, my two brothers. I was here alone only with Johnny, who you look at the guy. You don't want to hang out with that. <laughs> um, no. So I called Benji and he's like, hey, he gave me good advice. He's like, he's like, don't question it or second guess it for two years. Just you made a decision. You trusted your instincts. So just go with it. And after two years, then you can ask yourself if it was the right or wrong decision. But he's like, it takes two years to plant roots and to to feel it out. So and I did that. I, I so no more worrying or regretting if I did it or not. And then after like even one year, I was like, thank God I fucking moved here. I'll, I, there's no way I could have stayed in L.A., especially raising kids. And it's just a better life out here for fa our family. So it's like mm -hmm. it definitely was the right decision. So I'm glad he gave me that advice. Yeah, that's what took us out here too. Was our I have two kids, and it was yeah. like we, they weren't in school, and I'm like, yeah. we gotta get out. And I remember having that panic attack, like driving from San Diego, like getting in the car and being like, "Shit, we're leaving everything." Like yeah. this is this is gonna. Be I loved scary. it, dude. I was drinking the whole drive. We got pulled over in Flagstaff. I was already fucked up while my wife. <laughs> I was like, "Take me home, Big Daddy." Yeah, <laughs> take me home. You can. I think from what I heard is you can drink in the passenger seat in Tennessee, right? You can't. Yeah, in Tennessee. But we were in Arizona. We got pulled over, and you're not allowed to there. But I hit it between my legs. I'll tell you something funny. The cop pulled us over because uh, she was either she didn't, he didn't give us a ticket. It was really nice. He came in. He saw that we had two kids or the kids and the dog and a cat. We were driving. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, where are you guys heading? I was like, oh, we're moving out of California to Tennessee. He's like, oh, the country of California, huh? Because they, they <laughs> set their own rules. I was like, exactly. So he let us go, but I never looked <laughs> back, dude. I was like, fuck it. And you, you know, dude, I think both of us had never, we've toured, but we've never lived anywhere else besides LA. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard when you, when you don't know what the experience is going to be like. But once we went and like, there's like forests and green stuff and like, you know, the air is breathable and like all those things. It's like, I, I recommend it to anybody, you know, you got more friendly. It's so weird moving here and yeah. everyone's waving at you and shit. You're like, that was so the nice. one thing I noticed too. You know, like, like, why are all these people on the street waving? To yeah. Me? Like, do I know that? <laughs> and then I went back to California to visit and I'm used to waving at people now for guys walking down the street and I'm driving past them. I'll wave. Yeah. I was in California. The, I did it. the guy just mad dogs me. I'm like laughing. Like, <laughs> Oh, I forgot. You're supposed to be a fucking asshole in LA. <laughs> Gives you the finger. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. You can't be friendly here. Oh, wow. Well, um, well, let's talk about the 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 new album that, or the what'd you say, a deluxe version? Because yeah. you have Jelly Roll on the album, which is rad. He's a Nashville guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in. We we that was kind of that was probably one of the cooler parts about living here is working with a dude like that. You know, I don't think we'd have that opportunity out there. The music scene here is so much more vibrant than L.A. You know, L.A. used to be kind of a mecca in the '80s. All the bands would move to L.A. You know, Guns and Roses and all those bands. And it had like that, that, that factor to it. Now I think Nashville is what it was, what LA was back then. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of people who want to do music move here. So you have such an eclectic group and like every kind of music you can imagine is being made here. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's one thing that I was, I thought I was moving to a country town and, and you were actually the person to said, nah, man, like there's everything here. Mm-hmm. And I moved here and sure enough, I mean, there's so many people from so many different genres of music. I honestly, I haven't met a whole lot of people that are in the country music scene. Right, <laughs> as long as yeah. I've been here for two years. And there's Let's like, either. everyone's either in, you know, uh, like some sort of like emo pop punk band or like a rock band or like not. Yeah, it's a mecca. I mean, dude, yeah. like our, our uh, right, uh, BMG's office in LA is like a, like this little tiny office here. It's like a giant building because most of their acts are based here. The mm-hmm. one thing I miss, dude, is that L.A. cocaine, man, right across the border, <laughs> ready to sniff. Now, you know, who knows what's in it? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of gnarly stuff. That going scratch on. and sniff stuff I got over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? Uh, so with this, with Hollywood, California, you put the album out and then did you guys write a handful of other songs or were they all written and recorded during the same time period? Everything but Jelly Roll. We always over record because, you know, we have a lot of guys and everybody want, you know, we, we're we pretty prolific when we're in the studio. Mm-hmm. And we just go for it. So we always we've always had trouble weaning down records like we've tried to put albums out with 25 songs and the labels like, dude, no, you can't. Oh, do wow. that. That's why we made like New Empire Double, for instance, because mm-hmm. uh, they want 10 songs. So us putting 14 is them compromising with us. We could make, you know, we'd put more. So we always have these other songs that we all like. So, you know, doing a deluxe is the only thing that like makes sense to get them out. Um, Jelly roll wasn't recorded. That was on a whim last year. Me and Charlie went over to a studio and we wrote that and another song that hopefully comes out pretty soon um, one night. So that wasn't recorded. That was after the fact, but we always have a ton of extra material just because we're, you know, we, we like to write. Okay. And then, yeah, so you had the extra songs and then that song with Jelly Roll, you guys wrote that with him then? Yeah. Or was, that, was the song done and he just kind of featured on that record? Um, our managers hit us up and said, hey, you should work with this guy, Jelly Roll. They said, just go meet with him. So we went there. We had no idea what the point was meeting, but we're like, 
fuck it, why not? So he walked in the room, like we we're sitting there waiting for like 45 minutes. And then he walks in the room. He's like, what's up, fuckers? So then like, you you know, okay, this is going to be cool. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. So then we sat and talked about whatever. And then he's like, well, I have no fucking clue why the fuck we're meeting and why we're sitting here with each other. But I hope that we get to make some music together. So we went to his studio, which he has like this compound here in Nashville on Music Row, or he used to. Um, so he played us a bunch of songs and one of them that he played, we're like, oh shit, play that one again. It was really fucking good. So he's like, oh, you guys like this song? We'll do a verse on it. So Johnny and I did a verse on that one. And then, um, and then he's, then we're like, Hey, we should write one from scratch too, like one that's not already pretty much done. Uh So then we got an acoustic guitar and wrote house of mirrors, like started writing it at 12 or midnight and finished at six in the morning when the sun was up. Um, yeah, all in one night we did that. From nothing yeah. to being done. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Nothing fun. to being recorded in the, the version that is yeah. up now. Wow. Yeah. yeah, dude. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And uh, yeah. And you guys just got off playing a bunch of festivals and you're doing a bunch of big shows coming up. In the, yeah, we're going the to Europe in a couple of weeks for the, the summer festivals, which will be interesting. It's our first time back since the whole debacle with COVID and stuff. So you guys were in Europe. Is that what you said when COVID happened? Yeah. Well, dude, we were we were in the middle of a tour and like slowly they were like clamping down on numbers and less people were coming. And then finally at one show was we would find out whether we were playing the next day, the night of the other show. Oh, and it was wow. just like that. So we played outside of Frankfurt and that was it. Like they called it that very same day. This is the last show because the next country, I think it was France, had nixed all the shows. Yeah. So we did about half of it. And then we, we, you know, were in a rush to get flights and it was crazy because, you know, Frank Germany has a lot of expats and everybody was trying to get the hell out to go to wherever they're from. Mm-hmm. So the airport was like chaos. And, uh, when we took off, dude, I was like, Oh, thank God. Cause it was touch and go, you know, cause you don't know if you're going to be able to get out and they're saying the border is going to shut down the next day. Yeah. So everybody was like, you know, going haywire, but it was a weird experience, dude, because all these places that you were reading about, like Madrid, we were just in Madrid. And then Milan had some big blowout. And we were just in Milan. So everybody's wondering, like, Emma, do I have this shit, too? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we all, we all everybody made it home safe and sound. So but yeah, that was I mean, it's weird because I want to say how weird it was for me, but it was obviously weird for fucking everybody. Yeah. That's uh, the weirdest thing, I mean, too, is you could talk to people from all over the world and everyone was in the same Everybody position. had some crazy psychological issue. I turned into a drunk. Um, it was weird. And, uh, I also did some good things. Like I cleared out my garage and built like a gym in there. Then I turned into a drunk and didn't use it, but it was just like, you have way too much fucking time on your hands and you're like, you start losing it. It was just a weird experience overall. Wow. Yeah. Were you seeing any sort of like, um, numbers change like at your shows? Like when it was touch and go was like, Oh, it was was sold out, but it was like half the people actually attended or whatever like that. The last show was like sold out, but like half the crowd was empty because people uh-huh. were starting to get scared at that point. Um, yeah. And then they finally put a clamp on the number. So all the rest of the shows were canceled. But yeah, it was like trickling downward and no one really knew what was going on. And of course, we start get you start getting because we had to go home. My wife was like, oh, are you going to come home or stay in a hotel? I was like, bitch, <laughs> we're going to stay in a fucking hotel. All right. Uh, you know it was weird going back to that we all have kids and shit i'm like dude am i do i because no one really knew what it was going on no one on. knew it was happening yeah, yeah exactly. so it was like being in a fucking zombie movie i remember going to the airport we were landing in arizona before we flew home and the bathroom line to wash the hands was like really long 
because everybody was scared. And I'm like, weren't you guys washing your hands before? Because I've never seen a line like this. <laughs> yeah. They're but, doing they're doing the happy birthday song or whatever. But yeah, man, it, it was a wild experience, I think, for everybody. And um, I think I mean, it's the first time that's happened in modern history. And yeah, and the, the Internet, you see everything. So it's just it's weird. It's weird because it connected everybody, even though the it was a negative connection. Everybody in the world was kind of going through the same thing at once. And I don't know of another time that that's happened. No, I, I can't think of it either. Were you were you guys writing during that time period at all? Or was it kind of like uh... yeah, we did like a live stream? Um, we went to L.A., did a live stream. Then we did. Uh, we started recording Hotel California during COVID. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember because the producer came in a mask and we said, take that shit off, bro. Um, <laughs> but he, he's from L.A., of course. So he's like, um, but yeah, no, we, we were recording and uh, we, we stayed pr- fairly busy. Jordan and myself, Charlie and myself both released solo albums because we had the time. We were writing for other artists, too, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we wrote yeah. for we wrote with Zero, 936. We did some stuff with From Ashes, a bunch of bands. Um yeah. But then we both put out solo albums because we finally had time to like write our own shit. Um, uh-huh. So we did that. So no, we stayed busy and stuff like, uh, but it's weird. You know, we've been on tour for 15 years and all of a sudden you, you're not doing it anymore. But, you know, it, it was it was an interesting thing being home that long because I it, from for since we started it never happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. And uh, I didn't realize both of you guys put out solo records. That's, and you're writing. Are you still writing for other people or is that something that you now that everything's open, you got Hollywood dead going? Yeah, yeah, here and there we work with other people still. Who is that behind you? Is that a gun? Someone with a gun? Yeah. Damn. Jack. Yeah, he's got the (laughs) the salt gun, the flight salt gun. I just saw a gun. I was like, dude, you're about to get assassinated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we still write with other peeps. Um, we the jelly roll thing was really fun. So we're definitely looking forward to doing that stuff again. But we're actually after the European run, we're doing a run in the States with Tech Nine, and then I think we'll get back and you know, do another album and yeah. keep going amazing amazing well thank you both so much again for for doing this today i appreciate it It was great to see you johnny on on the camera yeah. sort of via the phone maybe, well, now that you're here dude maybe we could do one in person sometime no i would love that i would love that um and i just have like i said one more question um Uh-oh. and i just want to know what the craziest tour story you guys have <laughs> no. uh, actually i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists my um, advice is to be unique. Like everything sounds so similar and so cookie cutter. Like it, it, if it's like the metal thing or if it's the trap thing, it's like, it's so redundant that I would say, try to be unique and make your, don't go, don't follow what other people are doing. That's what worked for us. Like when our music came out, it sounded like nobody else. And, and before that, and the bands we were in, we were trying to sound like somebody else, I'm sure. Um, so I would say just be original. Love it. Yeah. I would say um, make sure you love it just for the the sake of doing it itself, not because you think you're going to make money or you're going to be famous or any of that stuff. Because uh, I think you, one of the reasons we we got we got to where we were is because we stuck it out because we loved it and we would have done it for free anyway. So I'd say to any aspiring artist, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, not some result that may or may not come. Just make sure you love what you're doing and the rest will kind of fall into place. Mm-hmm.